You're listening to Popaganda, the feminism and pop culture podcast. Today, our theme is insiders, outsiders. And I'm here with the very great Amy Lamb. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) How's it feel to be great, Amy? It feels pretty good to be great. (laughs) Um, So you did a really excellent interview that we're going to feature in just a minute. Tell us who you interviewed and why they're exciting. Well, I got a chance to speak with poet and writer Hanif Willis Abdurraqib. And the first time I read his work, I really felt like this kinship for him because he's able to perfectly distill the feeling of being an outsider, like within or outside a group of outsiders. So in this case, it's that of him being a black punk poet. Um, And it was really interesting to talk to him about that experience as like a reformed punk kid myself (laughs) reform punk kid of color myself um and also he has a new book coming out called the crown ain't worth much and it's going to be released in july and it's about the effects of gentrification in his beloved hometown of columbus ohio and i was so excited to talk to him about punk rock and poetry and hanif was nice enough to also read a poem for us here he is reading all of the black boys finally stopped packing switchblades cool let's listen All of the black boys finally stopped packing switchblades to punk shows ever since the summer of 98 when Danny went into the pit and got his front teeth divorced from the rest of his mouth by the fist of some white boy from the side of town where no one buries a body that came into the world after they did and no one ever has to swallow their own blood and pray that it will keep them fed until morning. So Danny told us that he was going to go home with someone's teeth, even if they weren't the ones he came here with. Because how many things have we boys had ripped from our mouths and never replaced by anyone? How much of our language has been pulled over the tongues of everyone but us? Reparations were sought in dark alleys with a blade sharp enough to scare a jaw open and a prayer out of a sinner's body, which explains how the white boy wept and called his father's name when being pressed into the brick with Danny's foot against his neck, while we watched until Danny finally let the boy go, and we ran back out east towards our homes. And maybe it was the way the rain howled, or maybe where we come from, we see everything drowning in red anyway. Or maybe there is no other way to explain the haste with which I make my pockets barren before leaving the house, even today or why my wife needs a bigger purse to carry such weight for the both of us. But when the police came for us that night, we did not hear a sound until Danny's blade fell out of his pocket and the bullets that followed. Because, I guess, anything can be a gun if the darkness surrounding it is hungry enough, or at least that's what I've been told, when the bodies of black boys thrash against what little life they have left tethering them to the earth. And isn't this what we've always been fed? That it is just like the nighttime to rename everything that moves into a monster. I'm so excited because I'm here with Hanif Willis Abdurraqib, um, a black poet who I've been following, uh, especially because of his work in terms of like how he talks about um, his life in terms with with punk rock and I'm talking about him in third person even though he's sitting right next to me right now which is kind of awkward (laughs) Um, but I really want to talk to you because I came into your work 
because um, I've never read a poet who talks about being black in the punk scene. Um, and f- I feel like for so many punks of color who I know in the States, one of the reasons that they got into punk was because of like the counterculture-ness of it. But then often like when you're in the scene, you will see like white, like mainstream whiteness being reflected in the punk scene. Yeah, so I was just wondering like in that context, like what drew you to punk? And if you were able to like find a home in it after all? Um, so I think what drew me to punk is, is the same thing that, that drew, that draws a lot of people to it, right? The desire to be an other beyond the other you already are, right? And so like, you know, I grew up in a mostly black neighborhood um, and punk was not very accessible to me in my neighborhood growing up. But I, I also wanted to be different, right? I knew that I felt different, I felt unique, and I wanted to explore that. And punk, at least the way it's sold, right, is all about release and freedom and rebelling. Um, and I wanted to kind of channel those things and um, find a way to express myself outside of how I was expected to, right? I mean, I grew up loving hip-hop and around hip-hop, but I, I wanted to feel something more. Um, I, I don't know if I found a home in it, right? I think I imagined one. Um, I think that like at the time when I was like a teenager or like even in my early 20s, right? I think I imagined myself at home in this space, even though everything around me represented something that was not home-like. You know, I think it's easy to convince yourself that you're at home somewhere when you, um, when words like brotherhood get thrown around, right? And, And we don't think about what that means. We think like, you know, in American history, brotherhood has always been connotated with like, often like white violence right um and it excludes women and it excludes queer and trans and gender non-conforming people it can excludes all of these people right but like when you are in it you're like this is me this is my home um and so i imagine i had these illusions of home um for a very long time and then i started feeling less at home at, not necessarily in the music but in the public spaces where the music was being performed and in the spaces where the music is worshiped um i felt very outside i felt very like uncomfortable with being present in those spaces so when you like started to confront that uncomfortableness then how do you navigate your place in that space that you want it to be in i think for me at least um i always made excuses right i think that's what we do when we want to like be in a place or we want to experience something that has in our minds given us so much and so you know it's it's age old right it's age old thing where where someone says something racist and it's like oh but i'm not talking about you right or when someone says something like shitty about about women in spaces and they're like and i turn to their like girlfriend mother sister and it's like well this isn't about you right um and and i think uh it's easy to accept that sometimes when you're again in these spaces and you feel like they've given you something it's easy to accept that and not interrogate what that means right like if if listen if you say something horrible and you turn to someone who represents that identity and say it's not about you it's entirely about them right it's even more so perhaps about them because you're saying that i don't i don't view you right you're not a visible touchable like entity to me so i can say these things um 
and so I mean, and, and yeah, I mean, I think that I just grew up a bit. I think that um, I did not see myself reflected in the scene I was in. Um, and, and I come from the Midwest, right? And I think the Midwest punk scene is um, kind of uh, maybe especially white. I want to say, um, not really Chicago. I mean, and in but in fairness, the Midwest punk scene is is not especially male and i think that's important to point out um you know i think the the midwest punk scene in columbus in chicago in pittsburgh like there have been uh women for years doing incredible work not just like music work but activism work and on the on the front lines of a lot of great things but it is especially white um and so you know, I would escape to kind of punk shows on on the coast, New York especially, and see like black punk bands and black people at punk shows. And then I would come home and not only not see black people at punk shows, but the black people who were at punk shows were just routinely disrespected or dismissed or, or treated as invisible. Um, and, and I think it, you know, I hit a point where I was like, this this can't be this can't be a scene for me. This can't be a place for me to. Um, and when I say scene, I mean scene I'm actively participating in. Of course, I still listen to punk, but, you know, I think it's easier to listen to something than to perform the action of, of taking it in. You know what I mean? Do you still have bands that um, maybe, you know, now I'm looking back, you're like, I can't really rock with that band, but I still love the music. And then, like, also, do you have bands that you, like, really love now in terms, like, within the punk scene that you you will, like, always be a stand for? Yeah. I mean, there are, I mean, I feel like a lot of 90s punk, I just can't, you know, like, no effects is pretty awful, <laughs> right? Like, you can't, you can't, and I don't even listen to them that much anymore, but there was a point where, like, I couldn't go to their shows because of how awful their shows were. And then I was like, well, this music is also awful. Like, they're, like... I mean, I hit, you hit that point. With, I think I hit that point with all music. You know, there is like some rap artists who I loved that I just can't listen to anymore. And I think punk is the same. I mean, No Effects isn't the only one, but they're the most glaring for me because I remember very much being at an, a No Effects show and like being excited to go, and then halfway through the show, kind of having this wave of like, "What am I sitting through?" And I think that was like the last punk show I attended. Right? Was was a No Effects show? Um, attended like comfortably and happily. Um, my interest in punk bled into an interest in like pop punk slash emo music. Um, and I found a little more comfort there, although there's a whole other set of issues that comes with, with like some of those bands too. Um, but I saw more of my friends of color able to access those spaces better and able to move in those spaces better because it was about, um, less physical violence and more, in some ways, emotional violence, which is also bad, but um, does not impact people in the same way, right? Like, I would go to punk shows in Pittsburgh and see, like, young women being thrown to the ground, right? And, and like, people of color being, like, pushed back against walls so that, like, big white dudes could, ha- could see the stage, right? And so that uh, was often hard for me. And so when people talk about how I write about punk rock and, and how um, it's often about violence and not about this like romanticized familial thing that I think most like real talk, most white writers write about punk rock and it's just like 
glorious haven of beautiful sweat and blood and etc and like how cool that you can romanticize those things but that's a very real violent space for a lot of people right and it would be a disservice for me to write about how this was like holy music that saved my life because it didn't right like it um and i can say that enjoying some of the music still but also knowing that like there are a lot of people for whom you know going to these shows was violence and in survival right like for there for people who like enjoy being in the pit they had to like work to be violent enough to not be harmed and i don't know how good i feel about that yeah it's it's so i think you brought up a really great point about um who can who gets like the privilege or or the ability to romanticize punk rock without problems because like I think like you, I, I like gravitated towards punk because it was like a like an outsider scene, and I felt very outsiderish in so many respects of my life. Um, and then there were there were definitely moments where I felt like punk rock saved my life because yeah. it gave me like a like quote unquote community. Um, but then the longer I stayed in that community, the longer I realized like I wanted punk rock to save my life because I wanted something to save my life, and. Um, when it came down to it, like it was just a lot of white dudes, and they weren't like they weren't for me, you know. But I had to be for them, and uh, and I think that makes it even doubly heartbreaking because like you invested so much like emotional energy into um, the scene and this music that you really actually loved, like like heart bleeding love for a long time, and then you kind of have to break up with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always interested in how I'm perceived in both spaces where I'm talking about music or writing about music and spaces where I'm writing about poetry because they're vastly different, right? I mean, there are people who have read and have interest in my, like, long-form music work that have no idea that I write poems, right? Or come to my poems and think, like, this is, what's this? You know what I mean? Like, this is not the same. Um, And there are people who, like, read my poems and have no idea that I write anything else. Those are more rare people. Also, because I grew up in, in punk and I grew up in a very DIY space and I grew up poor. I grew up in all these things that make me not that interested in a lot of the things that literary spaces value, right? Like, I I know that awards are important, and I know that awards are a signifier of a lot, and I, I think they're important to a lot of people, um, but I'm, not, I'm often not interested in them, right? I'm often not interested in um, this kind of, like, career-driven networking process. I come from a, a, a space where, you know, success means something different. You know, I come from a place in the world where success means living, uh, like being alive, right, and surviving people, um, which is, I think, why I write the way I do, right? I think the, the question is, how can I honor the people who I'm fortunate enough to have survived? So you did mention that um, you sometimes do have a feeling of like outsiderishness uh, within the lit scene. So how do you like navigate or work around that, or or like does it not matter to you? Oh, it doesn't matter to me because it, it, it's never hostile. I don't think I never like feel like people dislike me, or I never feel like the uncool kid on the school bus, right? I never and. And I also say all of this, like, as someone who is, it's clearly, it would be a lie for me to say that I'm, I'm also, I also haven't been incredibly fortunate with people who have been incredibly kind to my work. And so, um, 
yeah, I want to be clear on that because I'm not like pitying myself. But but yeah, I, I think um, and some of this has to do with my own anxieties as a person who just is anxious all the time. Right. Um, you know, I, I think if you ask most people, most poets, especially, especially poets of color, um, they're going to and, and poets. Uh, if you ask, I'll, I'll amend that. If you ask poets who are not like straight white men they're going to also feel like outsiders right in this community that is still so driven by by like the physical space of straight white men or the the narratives they have built over decades right and so um in a way my feeling like an outsider is is no different than so many of my peers who are you know poets who are are not straight or poets who are black or poets who are poets of color. I think they have to live in a literary world that was not built for their narratives and still find a way to make those narratives really resonate. And so many of them do that so effectively. Um, And so, yeah, I, I don't know if there's time to care about being an outsider when the entire structure of what I'm operating in was was built to keep me outside in the first place. That was poet Hanif Willis Abdurraqib. His new book is called The Crown Ain't Worth Much. 